Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's guest is a two-time WNBA champion who also won an NCAA championship in college. When the WNBA season eventually gets underway this year, she will be starting her 12th season in the league. She's taking off her warm-ups, and she's ready to check in. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. Today's guest, one fabulous, Renee Montgomery is a native of West Virginia, where she was a high school player of the year, the high school player of the year, and a McDonald's All-American in 2005. Her four years at the University of Connecticut ended with a national championship in 2009. Renee became the third UConn point guard to win the Nancy Lieberman Award. Nancy's a friend of the show, y'all know that. Um, As the nation's (laughs) top point guard, following Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, she is a two-time WNBA champion with the Minnesota Lynx and was sixth woman of the year in 2012. She played professionally in Lithuania, Russia, Israel, Poland, and Australia. This year, she also joined the Atlanta Hawks as a studio analyst, and she dug back into her roots with ESPN as a college basketball analyst. She's in her third season with the Atlanta Dream when the WNBA season gets underway safely. We're all crossing our fingers. Whoo, that's a lot. Welcome to Bucket. <laughs> Renee. <laughs> now, Monica, you know you wrong. You did not need to do all that. See, listen, this is what happens when you have a fabulous producer who makes sure that we are well aware of who our guests are. Listen, I appreciate it, but you know, we like, we family now at this point. I told you already, so it's like me coming over to the house. Like, what's good? Where's the snacks at? Listen, girl, let, okay, hold on. Before we get some snacks, we got to get some things out <laughs> I have to say, my friend, that you have been crushing it. Obviously, we know what you were doing as a basketball player, star point guard. But this window for you this season, I remember seeing you with the Hawks. I remember you tweeting about getting your acting game on. Like, obviously, we've shared the ESPN family of networks. And then what you're doing on your social spaces and your Instagram, like, Girl, when you stop bouncing that basketball, you're ready to take over the media game. Easy. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, from your mouth. From your mouth to God's ears, I appreciate it, though. I, I don't know. You know, people say it's, it's dangerous doing a lot. You might be good at some stuff, great at nothing, but I'm trying to be out here. Um, I think that you are, have been very good in this space in terms of conducting interviews and what you're creating on your own page. I love the Facts on Facts, and I loved your conversation with Jamel Hill um, not too long ago that you posted on Instagram. But let's, let's, let's just start because you are a Black woman in a society, and the headlines are obviously about the social unrest, and rightfully so, after we see another Black body slain by the hands of police. I know you got out in Atlanta and protested. Where are you in all of this, Renee? 
Um, well, where am I? I'm all in. So I don't know. I don't even know what that question is asking, but if it's asking about Black Lives Matter, I'm Black Lives Matter. I'm all in. I'm about this movement. Um, and, and for me, this is almost like newfound in a sense of I've never really been one to speak out on social injustice or anything of that nature. But just, I think just like everyone else, excuse me, that was a wake up call when you saw that, like it was very disturbing. Like it's a disturbing image that you just, everyone we can continually see. Um, And then when I was talking to my parents and found out that my snook, my mom is about that life. I was like, oh, wait a minute. So this is in my blood. Let me, (laughs) let me come to my calling then. And it's funny because my my parents have been married, I don't know, um, like 40 years minimum, I would say, since college. And my daddy is kind of the opposite in the sense of he he's not necessarily going to be the one that leads the, the, the protest. You know, he's going to be the person that will sign the petition. And there's nothing wrong with neither one of them, but it's just funny to see the different dynamics. I think that I'm going to be more so leaning towards my mom on this. I think I'm ready to be vocal. Okay, so you've already been vocal on your platforms. Um, I, I, when I, I just, we're black women, right? Like, yes, yeah. that is tragic, um, but it's, this isn't new for our country. So how are you vocal and what, just how are you vocal? So, well, I, yeah, it's not new. And even in sports, like, you know, so that's the thing. I think that that's what needs to be vocal. The people that it doesn't affect as much, that's who needs to be the most vocal. Because for me, in sports, I was the one that if, if I'm somebody's favorite player, favorite athlete, I would never know they were racist. You know, like I would just never know it. And then you might hear stuff and you'd be like, what? He's racist. And then, you know, you start to look at things you're like, okay, it makes sense. But as athletes, we get the people's best face in a sense. So mm-hmm. for me, it's almost not accepting that best face. It's like, all right, you have to do something along with giving that best face at this point, your best face is no longer acceptable because, you know, you have a lot of coaches and you have a lot of different things out here that they outwardly promote racism, hate when they, when they vote for people that promote that. And they, and they gladly will endorse these companies. They will gladly give their money to the campaign. So that's, that's companies showing you where they stand. And I think now is, is to the point where people have to not allow companies to just get away with that so if a company does feel that way that's fine but don't give them your business so that that's kind of how i stand it's not new but almost holding people accountable is the new part okay so renee you spent four seasons in minnesota minneapolis with the Lynx. obviously george floyd was certainly the touch point and it happened in minneapolis but what do you want people to know about that community that maybe they're missing on the news I would say that that community, just from the following that I saw with the Minnesota Lynx, the Minnesota Lynx fan base was majority white. And I think that those people genuinely cared about us as people and us as players. And the reason I say that is because when we wore shirts in 2016 that said, you know, I can't breathe, Black Lives Matter, the fan base was hurt because they almost felt like they had to choose between us and their patriotism, like they were hurt. They wanted to know why did we do that? Like why, you know, like they were almost wanting information. Like we had our captains held a press conference because people wanted to know why would we do such a thing? That's before Black Lives Matter became an acceptable term and and an understood term. And even still people, some people don't understand it, but most people can kind of get the gist of it. This is before then. So the reason I would say that that community 
about that community is because they want, I think that there's a large portion of people that want to do better, even if they didn't realize that they might've had some, some racist ways, you know, cause sometimes people don't even know. And, and I know that that's hard for people to believe, but if your mom has been doing something and your dad has been doing something your whole life and your uncle does it too, and your grandpa does it, you might not realize that that's actually a little bit racist, but okay. Like, you know, like that, yeah. like you just might not. And so I think the people in Minnesota, while the, the police, have shown a history of it and, and that has to be fixed. I think the people of Minnesota will be open to listening and trying to, and, and change because I saw it firsthand in 2016 where they were, they felt some type of way, like, and they really were torn because they were like, wow, like, wow, like this is our girls. And now they're talking against the flag in America. And they wanted to know like, girls, tell us what's going on. So they want to know basically, and I think that that's a good thing because some people don't want to hear it regardless. I think the Minnesota community would be open to listening. How can they help? How can they make things better and change? So I'm glad that you made that point because I remember 2016 and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the police boycott security or something at y'all games behind that? Yeah, they, they did. They, the, the Minnesota police said that they would no longer be the security for our game. So we had to get an outside security team and everything. And that's what I'm saying. Like that's, that's, that's how the community and, and, and that's how people felt at that time. Because when we said black lives matter, they thought we were saying blue lives don't like, that's just a, that's what everyone thought at that time. Cause again, this was 2016. Kaepernick came after that too. And he, and they thought the same thing that we were protesting against the flag, that we were protesting against America in the sense of patriotism. People didn't understand that it was about a social injustice. Mm-hmm. 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 That is now, do you feel like those conversations or at least the seeds for those conversations were planted from that event, from you guys Ab- making Oh, it? absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because I think that, if there is a Minnesota fan base, like like the Minnesota fan base that's in Minnesota, they, as soon as they see the outcry about what happened with George Floyd, they will automatically think back to 2016 with, with Flandero Castile. Like they will, they will automatically have a connection there and correlation. Oh, that's what the Lynx players were protesting about. I see now it's not about, so I think that that's the progress. That's what you have to hold on to that. When we first did it in 2016, a lot of people were up in arms. Fast forward to 2020, I think those so, those same people will now be, un, not if not completely understanding, very much so empathetic. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, that's, and you know what? I think earlier today, and I don't know when Angel's dropping her content, but we had an opportunity to share a similar space addressing this stuff. And I love what you said in terms of acknowledging the wins. Because if you look at the sum of the goal, this battle and this fight can be so exhausting. But that's a win. If in 2016, you guys were able to plant a seed that in 2020 helps someone have more compassion and really open their heart and ears to the conversation about the injustices in our country, then that's a win. Exactly. And that's my point, because if you, if you start to look at, wow, how are we going to fix racism? Like, you know what I mean? You can, I mean, that's not just a one day process. That's not a two week process. That's a long (laughs) process. But if you start every time we get a win, it's a celebration that's fuel for you. That's energy for you. So you got to search for those. Uh, that's a big win. Black Lives Matter. You see businesses, mm-hmm. establishments putting hashtag Black Lives Matter. You hear Republicans saying Black Lives Matter. Those are wins. You got to think of where a NASCAR driver has a car wrapped in Black Lives Matter. Like this is things that 
two years ago, people would laugh at you, like literally laugh at you and say, will never happen. Like, so if, if, if under that same pretense, you know that that's true, you got to look at that like, wow, so something's happening. Um, you're absolutely right. And today, June 10th, NASCAR announced that they're going to get rid of the Confederate flag, which was super impressive. And then on Tuesday night, um, what's my guy, Stephen Colbert? I was like, look at Mitt Romney in a protest. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking. Like, who would have thought, right? And that's what I mean. Like, you, no one could have predicted this. But NASCAR getting rid of the Confederate flag? Like, what? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a part of their staple. And 100%. so for a whole organization like that to do that, that's a huge win. And, and people are looking for, you know, different things, but there's a lot of different ways to, to be successful in this. I think we're going to have so many wins. That's why I said we're going to have so many wins by November that after the polls, it's going to be a, it's going to be a block party. It's going to be a celebration because this is a lot of good stuff is happening. Hey, Renee, this is Bruce, uh, Monica's uh, loyal sidekick. And I just wanted to uh, mention, I live in uh, suburban Hartford, okay, uh, West Hartford, okay. to be specific. And I walk around my neighborhood a lot for exercise. And there are BLM signs all over the place in my neighborhood. You never, you don't really see a whole lot of political signs on people's lawns around here. But I found it very interesting that here in West Hartford, there were at least four or five BLM signs that I saw on my 40 minute walk this morning. And that's, and that's exactly what I mean. That's a win, right? Because if that's something that you wouldn't think that you would normally see, that's why I try to get people to realize, like, <clears throat> even when you see cops kneeling, what, when in your lifetime would you think that cops would kneel to the citizens? It's just not something that we are accustomed to seeing because we have an image of what the cops are, are, are like. So just anything you see that if it makes you go, wow, that's a win. Like, that's my whole point. That's a win. Most uh, When I went to the protest in Sandy Springs, it was majority white. That's a win. Because we're talking about Black Lives Matter, and it's a majority white group fighting for it. That's a huge win. So let's talk then from your perspective to fans. Because I, I love what you pointed out about your experience in Minnesota. And in Atlanta, you guys have a strong following in the W, but even for you, if we go to your UConn fan base, which still rides or dies for you, girl. I mean, as they should, you know what I'm saying? You were the winner. <laughs> um, but I said to a friend of mine earlier today, you know, if we really could get this nation to grasp, love Black people as much as you love Black culture. And when I say Black culture, I mean sports, which in areas which we dominate, um, just as much as pop culture, then I think it would really sink in. So for you, Renee, if you had a chance to talk to the diverse fan base that is the Atlanta Dreams fans, or even you have to tell me how diverse UConn's fan base is. I know it's a lot of women, but I, I assume that there are probably more white people in that fan base. If you had an opportunity to talk to them about this, this stuff and their role in helping us achieve progress, what would, it, what would you tell them? I would tell them that they need to encourage employment of minorities in the same way they encourage employment of, of white candidates. And I say that to say there's always the law of public opinion. So if there's a fan base that notices that there's good, like if you're paying attention and you're a fan, because we're talking fans here, you know good coaches around the league. You hear names, you know, like we hear Lloyd Pierce, you know, you hear names. And if you notice that those good coaches are never advancing or those good coaches are getting fired, 
if you notice that a good coach that's a minority coach gets fired and it seems like it's not necessarily fair, I think that's when the fans can really voice their opinion. The 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 there is the the public opinion holds a lot of weight. So while he may be fired this time, they may not be so quick to to fire a minority coach next time. So mm-hmm. I would say the same way fans can get on there and get mad about <clears throat> their favorite player missing a three or their favorite player or whatever, get on there and voice your opinions about these things. That's that's how it matters. If you if you feel like your tweets don't even if the, even if a team doesn't respond to your tweet or even if an organization or you write an email, they got it. They might not respond to it, but they got it. And, and and keep sending it, like, and keep going at it because if you if if the fans are starting to say that they want to see some type of representation, the the teams have to follow. The fans pay the bills. Hmm, that's a great point. That's a great point. So on that same sort of note, because I think, at least I know the conversations that I've had on various shows, it's almost like there's an attempt to parse out the black human experience from the black athlete experience. Right. Yeah. So how does that intersect for you? Because I mean, granted, we came up in the old Big E structure more times than not, except like Villanova running that Harry Peretta office, like teams were predominantly black, like even in the WNBA, it's a predominantly black league, NBA 70%, NFL 70%, but there's still an intersection there. And I guess it reveals itself most in who leadership is. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah. And I would say for, for me, that's what has been hard for me to even explain to people right now. When people are like asking me, Oh, how excited are you for the WNBA and all this other stuff? I'm like, man, I'm excited for this movement. And people are like, wait, what? And I'm like, I'm excited for this movement. And I say that because once I'm done playing, um, um, I'm going to be living here in Atlanta. And once I'm done playing, I'm going to be black. And so I think that's what the fans don't, or or not the fans, but people can't separate. Like, I am black culture. I am my pop culture. I am all of that because it, that's a part of me. So whenever I wake up, before I go to practice, it's me. When I get done with my game, it's me. And people are like, but you're an athlete. I'm like, yeah, and that's three hours of my day. 21 hours in my day, I'm a black woman. Well, 24 hours, I'm a black woman. But during those hours that I'm on the court, maybe there will be, there, there, that is muted because we're all on the same court. You know, there's equal opportunity in, in sports to a certain degree. But I'm black all day. And, and there's not, and I know a lot of people sometimes they're like, I just want sports and I just want to turn on, turn on sports and not, and get away from all that political stuff and get away from all of that. Uh, Black Lives Matter and it's like yeah you want to turn on the TV and get away from it and that's our lives like people really don't realize that that is literally our life like when you want to go to sports and get away from all the reality and everything like that yeah we might be the sports that you're watching for those two hours and then when we get off that court we're in that reality and so it, it people can't really understand it's our reality that's why they can't separate it mm, that part Woo. Renee, you grew up in West Virginia, where there aren't a whole lot of African-Americans, maybe less than 5% of the population. Uh, Now you're in Atlanta, where African-Americans, I mean, you might not be a majority, but you're certainly, you know, very close to at least 50-50. So can you compare and contrast what it's like living in West Virginia versus a city like Atlanta? Oh, my gosh. Is there even... (laughs) <laughs> a comparison. <laughs> I mean, no, and it's crazy because, like, 
so I can just like, so how I am now talking about, yeah, I'm black 24 hours a day. I can just think of how when I was younger, that would be cringing to say only because when it was black history month, I was the only black person in my class. So it was as a kid, it was always awkward because I'm the only one where there's a whole month of talking about experiences that I'm the only one that was on the other side of that experience. So now fast forward to where I'm here in Atlanta and I'm gearing up for my Juneteenth event. I'm like, would you look at how things turned out? Like I'm gearing up for my own foundation to have an, an event on Juneteenth. So for me, it's like, it's kind of crazy, but then it's not because my family. So I talked about, I already talked about my mom. And, and, and her involvement, she was involved in a walkout at her school. Um, she was involved in, you know, some sit-in, you know, they did different things because it's West Virginia. But also, on the other hand, they all went to an HBCU, West Virginia State University. So there was this type of, of Black pride and sense of pride that I, I saw growing up because of the sororities and fraternities and, and the life that an HBCU has. Like, I understand all that. And I, and I understood that there was a whole not, I almost thought it, saw it as a whole nother world. I love that. Ooh, I love, I love all that. My grandmother worked at Howard University Hospital and my mom went to Howard. So we used to go to work with my grandmother and take it all in. But I digress. Um, just points of reference <laughs> for audience, HBCUs, historically black universities and colleges or colleges and universities, HBCUs. And then Juneteenth, talk to us about your event, Renee, because I can just hear this excitement and enthusiasm in your voice. Oh, man, because I just got, like, some details ironed out. So I was thinking, like, what do I want to do on Juneteenth? Because I feel like Juneteenth is the new 4th of July. I'm just... Hold on, let, I mean, the, let the folks know what Juneteenth is. Oh, okay. So Juneteenth is, is what we call Emancipation Day um, in, in Texas. You can call it Jubilee Day. It can be called Freedom Day. But it's 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 a holiday. It is a holiday that is not highly recognized, probably because it's just, you know, it just wasn't America, you know? So mm -hmm. now I want to like because you know and the thing is I was going to call the event what is Juneteenth because I think a lot of people really don't necessarily know and that's fine this is an educational thing but what I'm going to do is I, I'm I'm just going to assume that there's probably going to be there's already large crowds but I'm assuming that there's going to be larger crowds than normal because of Juneteenth and the black culture here that we talked about here in Atlanta so my foundation we've already been giving waters to protesters because it's hot down here in hot Atlanta but on Juneteenth, we're going to turn it up a notch and basically do like a pop-up block party. So we're going to come, we're going to bring food, drinks. And when I say drinks, I mean like water, Red Bull, Gatorade, things like that. And then we're going to have a performance by these young steppers. And speaking of HBCUs, they, they, they step like AKAs, Deltas, all of that. They're just young black women nice. that are... Y'all, it's so amazing, and they just said yes, they're in, and so now I'm like, okay, so it's about to be lit. Um, trying to get a couple members from a choir to come, you know, so it's gonna be literally like a blitz. We're gonna come in for like an hour, bring food, have a little party, let these young women give them a platform to perform, and then we're out. Like, and and I just I don't know. For me, that's just kind of how I like to do. Just get in there. And another thing I noticed was that as we're handing out stuff, a lot of homeless people have gravitated towards these these protest spots for obvious reasons people are handing out water drink and everything like that so there's an outreach that's involved in this as well where 
a lot of homeless people is probably the best they've eaten in a long time because there's there's a lot of people other than me bringing ref- refreshments and stuff. So there's a lot of outreach and good stuff happening. And that's what I think people should focus on. I love that. I love that. Now, I want you to speak to the next Renee Montgomery, the next Monica mm-hmm. McCann, the next Angel Gray, the next wave of young women that are playing basketball. Because I'm trying to think when we were doing our thing, I don't remember this being as prevalent as it has been over the duration of their formative years, if you're talking about Gen Z, right? Like they had somebody they could probably name at least every two years from the time they were like 10. Yeah. Um, but, I, but how would you encourage them? I know you see positives and I, I'm with you. I hope that those positives are sustainable and they move toward action. But now there's this heightened sense of awareness of where they stand on the societal calendar or societal um, totem pole as a black woman, um, some people will say double minority. I don't like to use that term, but technically that's what it is. But you are an athlete or maybe you are pursuing something that you're passionate about. How would you encourage them to move through and navigate all of this? I would tell the first thing I would tell young players is to educate yourself. Cause, and I say that because I even see it now with, with players that go to universities and you see so many players transferring and that lets me know two things. One Young young people haven't learned how to tough things out in the sense of just figure out and problem solve. So a lot of times their first answer is just to leave. But secondly, you must you might not have done your due diligence enough getting to know that coach that you were going to go play for. And so don't let in a time like this where the social climate is a certain way, know who you're going to go play for. Know who you are already playing for. Know who you are surrounding yourself with because – a lot of these players right now, and just some young players I've already talked to recently, they're hurt. Their university didn't make a statement. Their, 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 their coach hasn't came out and supported Black Lives Matter. So now you got some players that are hurt and they feel abandoned. And, and I'm like, I understand because, again, they, you know, when they were signed and they maybe weren't thinking about all of this. But now you guys have a choice. You can choose where you're going. So make sure you know where you're going and who you're going to go with. Like, that's all I would say. Not telling anybody to go anywhere, but I just think if players, you can t- you can know where a university stands right now. Everybody's showing you their hand. It's easy for y'all now. You see what universities are Black Lives Matter. You see what, what universities are silent. And if that's important to you, then maybe you should just mark out all the silent schools. Maybe those schools just aren't for you. Y'all have a difference in opinion. Maybe you're just going to move yourself and remove yourself so that you don't have problems down the line. You can foresee the future problems. But I would just say educate yourself because right now everybody's putting their cards on the table. Yeah, yeah, that's real. Okay, real quick follow-up, and then we're going to turn the page to the W potentially this season. But what would you then also say to coaches now? Because how, do I, how would I measure the sincerity of their commitment to that if I'm a recruit? If if you're a coach, at bare minimum, and this is and this is the beauty of being a coach right now, it's almost shameful not to. So a lot of times, and I say that because a lot of times coaches are like, oh, I don't really want to get into the social space or I don't want to get into the political space because, you know, as universities, a lot of times they try to stay away from that. But now you don't have to, like, if it's a coach that would want to, you don't have to worry about that. The social norm is to say Black Lives Matter and to show your support. However, that's how you should know the coaches that really just don't want to, because Mm. there's no better time than right now to do it. There's no excuse for why you're not doing it if you want to do it. So there's, there's no, Oh, my hands are tied. And if you are a coach and your hands are tied, 
then that's a, that you have some decisions to make too. I mean, this, and again, this is systematic. So it can, somebody uh, who has said it today, it starts at the top. Mm-hmm. And, it go, and, and so if you can't, if you are a coach and you're nervous that you can't say something, well, that's really unfortunate. And you should think about how your, how your players feel. Mm. Well said for sure. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Those leaders got to get it together and set pace. All right. Speaking of leadership, <laughs> no real smooth way to transition from such topics to present day, but here we go. The WNBA bubble in Orlando, 22 game season. How are you feeling? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And it's crazy because this is like a topic that I can't really talk about so much so because we're still in negotiations and I'm not going to be that player that's like, oh, she said this, that, and the third. And so, but I can say that, like, I only want to play if the situation's right, you know? Yeah. So, and, and and I say that to say, sometimes if you if you try to do something and it's not working, well, maybe there's other alternatives. And so I don't I don't know because again I'm not on the executive committee so they might have figured it all out and I might be like hey your flight's tomorrow so I don't know I don't know but I think that it's hard to get in the butt like the NBA and the NFL and the other leagues they have a lot of money and when you have a lot of money I try to put it in perspective for people when you have a lot of money and somebody says plan a vacation it's way easier than if you don't have much money and somebody says plan a vacation. Obviously, the bubble is not a vacation, but I'm just saying that things cost money. And so it's not as easy for the WNBA to just up and uh, do everything that the NBA is doing. For the people that are like, well, the men have figured it out. Like, it's, it's just not the same. Hmm. That's a perfect analogy. That's spot on for sure. Um, <laughs> wow. That was, that's a really good analogy. More people need to hear that. Why aren't you on the executive committee? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I just, because I had to, because people really kept on asking me, like, why aren't you girls going, like, haven't the men figured it out? I'm like, those are, were two completely different things, but okay. Like, you know, and so, yeah, people just kind of assume, like, if the men are doing it, the women should do it. And I wish it was that way. I wish we had enough money to do everything the men were doing. We're just not in that position yet. So how have you guys been navigating? Are there team Zooms? Are you in touch with your rooks or what? Like, how does this go? Yeah, so we've had team Zooms. We typically have weekly team Zooms. Sometimes it's it's with the players only. And we have um, Dr. Gunner, who she's our mental coach, or she's she's a psychiatrist. I don't know what her actual title is, but she helps with the mentals, okay? Um, but she she'll come on there and she'll kind of just, we well one week we had a topic like we were talking about did everybody see the MJ doc how do we feel about tough love because you know this is a team aspect so it's a great topic for a team um and just different things like that I think you know it's going to be if you know sports you can't fake chemistry so I think what our coaching staff is trying to do is just let us allow us a space to be around each other enough that we can start to know people to some degree because once things pick up it's going to be like two-week training camp, bomb the games. You're not going to really have that time to, to get to know people. Renee, so speaking of getting to know people and trying to build chemistry, the Dream uh, have really kind of retooled their team this year. I mean, yourself, Tiffany, Monique, and Elizabeth Williams are really the only players coming back. Everybody else is going to be new. So how are you going to build chemistry with this crew uh, in a shortened season? Yeah, this, our team is not built to to have to put together quickly. Um, I mean, it's just, 
this is not ideal, and I think that's why, you know, for some teams, they're already going to have a built-in years and years of playing together, and you can't, you know, you can't recreate that in time. So for us, that will be difficult. But also in the same breath, when I came from Minnesota to Atlanta two years ago, we were kind of in this same position, and then we ended up peaking later in the season, which was great for us because we went on like a 17-2 to two run and ended up ending the season as the number two team. So it can work different ways. You could peak too early if you guys already know each other and it's like magic right when you get together. So if I have to say a silver lining, hopefully we for sure can't peak too soon. <laughs> See, I'm ready for TV because you got me on the silver. Silver lining was my next question because I have found personally – I, I personally subscribe to this. And when we talk to our guests, in terms of their personal lives, the silver lining of the pandemic has been the quality time that they're now able to spend with their loved ones. But I was going to ask you, is there a silver lining as far as the team thing goes? But other other than the peaking, like, are you guys talking a little bit deeper maybe than you would in a regular year or anything like that? I would say I would think there's some silver linings. And I just think with, with sports, oh, my goodness, we all know that the NFL is about to have a display of of pride. And that's whether it's Black Lives Matter, where it's like you just know that something is in the works. So I think that the silver lining is that now leagues have to be more receptive and more open to the players and their opinions on social things. People don't realize how taboo it used to be. The reason LeBron James, and this is not a player back, back, back in the day, the reason LeBron James has a whole brand around shut up and dribble more than the athlete is because people still are just not very comfortable with athletes speaking about anything other than sports. So the silver lining of this pandemic is, one, the athletes now being able to have a voice, and two, that the leagues have now made public statements in support of it. That's going to be big down the line because now the NFL, you know, what are they going to do? I don't know what all the players are going to do, but you can guarantee that a lot of them are going to kneel. So obviously they know that that's okay. But what if, uh, what if an athlete takes it a step further? I don't know what that step further is, but now the leagues have to operate in a, in a very understanding manner. And for the players, that's something that we haven't necessarily had before. Yeah. That's a great point. Bruce, make sure we clip that off for our uh, quick hitter. That was a good one right there. We're going to tease that soundbite right there. <laughs> all right, so look. Um, so when you talk to Jamel Hill, first of all, tell me, did you stumble into TV the way Jamel has, or was this something that even while you were playing, you knew that once you stopped bouncing the ball, you wanted to go this route? Yeah, I knew. I went to school for communications. Like, I knew. Look at you. Go. So what about the acting part? Where did that Was that in there always, too? Yep. Um, that's why I took acting class. I've taken acting classes for a year and prop classes for a year. Um, I like to be, I, I'm one of these people like, if I'm going to do something, I need to educate myself and know what I'm doing. I don't like to not know. So yeah, I, I've taken schooling for all of it. Look at you go. Girl, you're just so impressive. All right. So I'm totally stealing your script from your interview with Jamel. Cause I was like, Ooh, I want her answers to these three quick hitters. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, who is your What's favorite that? athlete? <laughs> who, who is my favorite athlete? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with a Dwayne Wade. And that's like the first time I've ever even been asked that question, which is bizarre. I know. See, that, don't you love it when they flip the script on you, girl? Yeah. 
Yeah, because when you say athlete, I had to go like across all the different ones, and I still came back to basketball. But I've never said Dwayne Wade, and then I just started thinking about I like how he has a full brand, Dwayne Wade. Okay, Dwayne Wade. All right, what are you watching on TV? Oh, I'm watching Kumo Primetime Daily. See, I love my dad loves Kumo, but I got I gotta like I gotta get my doses. I, after I get to a certain point with the news, I gotta turn it off. All right. But Kumo, he needs to be your only news daily then because I'm telling you, he get right to it. And this is sorry. I know we're doing quick hitters, but I have to say that we have a bunch of foolishness happening with our voting in Fulton County. No one's surprised. We have foolishness happening here every year in one of the most populated counties. Shocker. Um, and Kumo would not let the people off the hot seat. That's why you got to watch Kumo because he tried to say, hey, look, these are new machines. And Kumo said, and last year y'all had the same problem with the old machine. You have to watch Kumo because this word accountability, he's all about it. Okay. I do I do love when he gets into little brotherly um, arguments with his brother, the governor. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then what's your favorite cereal, my friend? Oh, favorite cereal? I, I got to get a top two, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and All Berries, Lucky Charms. See... I don't, here's a confession. And this is why I, as much as we all are Black Lives Matter and we all are pushing for equal justice um, and equal opportunities for Black people, uh -oh. this is where my Black card might get potentially revoked. <laughs> what are you, like Wheaties or something? Or, or, or I'm like oatmeal. Like, I don't even eat regular cereal like that. Like, yeah, I might put some Cheerios on a good day. But, like, I don't really do cereal like that. Wait, what cereal do you eat? I don't really eat. So here's the thing. When I stop playing, <laughs> I, I'm not accepting that answer. Listen, do not judge me. Don't judge me. Here's there's a couple stories. My mom was one of those people that was ahead of the curve on the food and the dairy. So I didn't. I don't eat dairy at all. I never ate it as a kid. Right. Oh wow. So when we got when we got fun fruity cereal, first of all, it was with either rice milk, soy milk, or almond milk. <laughs> uh huh. So and we could only get it during the summertime because my mom again was like, "Y'all don't need all that sugar. Like, no, that's bad for you." So like we, like we usually get like Fruit Loops. That was me and my sister's thing. Like we were so excited to have some Fruit Loops in the summer, but now that I'm an adult, like that's just not in me to go back to. So like if I have cereal, it's probably Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios with bananas, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, I just realized. I know that people do this. It's called a wine tasting. I think I need to take you on a cereal tasting. We can put you some almond milk or whatever, wheat milk, whatever milk you be drinking. We can put it in there, but we got to take, I got to take you on a testing, a cereal testing, because I think that you don't know what you're missing until you try it. So I'm not even judging you. You don't know yet. I got to let you know. That's the thing. Oh. I just, I just, that was a sad story that you've been to deprived cereal your whole life. So I'm, we got to do something about that. I mean, I tried it at, in college and stuff, but I just be feeling like I'm eating a bowl of sugar. And I'd be like, I could do better than this. Like, my ancestors didn't fight for all of this so that I could eat diabetes in a bowl. Come on, Renee. No, no, ma'am. Because I know, do you eat ice cream? I don't eat any dairy. I've been in Jerry's non-dairy ice cream. I haven't uh -uh, mentioned. Well, okay, sorry. I forgot you said dairy. Do you eat any desserts? Because you can't, like, you can't just throw one sweet to the, to the side. You don't eat no sweet? No. So here's the thing. I have an epic sweet tooth. It just can't involve dairy. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. No, ma'am. I like to get my sugar in my cereal then. That's, that's, I have a sweet tooth too. So I, I like it all. All right. Well, this is where we end the show because you've just been so tremendous and fantastic. And we can, I will go on a cereal testing just because, you know, why that not? That would be fun. 
All right, so the show is called Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. But Bruce, we got to come up with the umbrella of which we want Renee to answer our question. Hmm. Thoughts, Bruce? Well, I could, I could, I could give her the full Monica McNutt spiel and let her decide. I love when do you that. I love when you do this. Go, Bruce. All right. Okay. Buckets, hey, boards, and blocks. <laughs> this is what the loyal sidekick gets to do at the end of the show and stuff like that. So, all right. A bucket is your A++ material, something you want more of. A board is a rebound, something that might have started out not so well, but had a silver lining, redemption, that kind of thing. And a block is Dikembe Mutombo, wave the finger, get that out of here. You get, you can pick one. So either give us something you want to see more of, something that you feel is a story of redemption, or something that's just straight up trash that you want like out of here. And it can be about anything. It can be about society. It can be about basketball. It can be about cereal. Ooh, it can be whatever you want. Like you only it. you only got to pick one. We'll oh just give God. it the whole umbrella of 2020, wherever you want to take it. Okay. So. Okay. I know what I want more of. All right. I got it. Uh, I want some more. So I want some buckets, right? Okay. That's the terminology. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, give me some buckets. And I want these buckets and buckets and buckets to be of white people calling out other white people. I want that like all 2020, all 2021. I think that like if this trend continues, first of all, it's entertaining. I'm sorry. Secondly, it's going to make a lot of changes because people aren't going to want to be the next one called out. And they're going to know that you can't have these conversations even in these meetings where there's no black people, we're still not allowed to have these conversations anymore. They canceled these conversations. So yeah, I'll take some buckets and buckets and buckets of white people calling other white people out. You know what, Bruce? You know what that is right there? That is a mic drop from a professional actress, host, analyst, commentator, and basketball player. Boom! <laughs> we, got, we, 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 we got our assignment, didn't we? <laughs> Oh, I, 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 got, I got my homework now. Bruce, Bruce got his homework. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Let me in on him. Bruce is a white man who we love. He's an ally, but he's a white man, so he got his homework. Oh, so now you know what you... Yes, Bruce, that's what I mean, because that's where all the deals get made, Bruce. People get jobs off of these side conversations, and then all the candidates aren't even a part of the conversation. So if people started to say, no, that's not fair, or no, don't say that, or no, that's not right, I think that that would be, there would be a big ripple effect. It's our responsibility as uh, upstanding members of the human race to treat each other that way. 100%. I love it. I love it, Bruce. You're well, a great sidekick, Bruce. Renee Montgomery. All this, all that, two-time WNBA champ, outstanding broadcaster, coming for all of our jobs when she officially retires from <laughs> basketball. Just go, just remember we friends. Like, let's just do some things together. Are you kidding? No, see, we got, there's plenty of slices in the pie. I want to work together with you again. That was dope. That's how we linked up in the first place, working together. It is very organic. I agree with you. There is enough out there for all of us. But thank you so much for your time today, sis. Thank you for having me. This was lit. That was dope. Thank you to this week's guest extraordinaire, the one and only Renee Montgomery. We wish her continued success as she prepares for her 12th WNBA season and, of course, safety with her Juneteenth event in Atlanta. 
Thanks also to my producer and loyal sidekick, Bruce Bernstein, and our fantastic editor, Ben Wolfen, who makes us all sound good. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week, the Mike Wise Show featured controversial sports commentator Jason Whitlock with his unique, air quotes, opinions about our current societal problems. Mike and Jason disagree on many issues, which is to be expected, but their conversation does get heated at times, but it is worth a listen. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams have a new show each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is back on Wednesday. And this week's guest is ESPN front office insider Bobby Marks, who looks ahead to what's next when the NBA resumes in late July. BJ Armstrong is back with Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast, which drops every Friday. And I'm back next Thursday with a brand new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks from Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Please remember, pray for all of the nurses, doctors, and other frontline workers keeping our society going during these tough times. We owe all of them a great debt. Continue to follow social distancing guidelines, wash your hands, and wear that mask to protect yourself and others. And save a few prayers, please, for your fellow citizens of all races, religions, and creeds who are working for a more just society for all of us. If you like Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, please subscribe, rate us, review us, and leave a five-star rating. It would mean a ton. Until we meet again, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 